Oh, I should probably see if I Ben needs to be admitted. Oh, there he is waiting. Patiently, diligently. How do I change my background? So go to um, go to in the upper left where it says yeah. Zoom.us. Drop down yes. the mm-hmm. preferences. Mm-hmm. So preferences and then virtual background. Uh, and then fun. you can uh, and then you can upload it. Ah, uh, great. Like here's mine. It's Ingrid Bergman <gasps> clasping her arms at her heart with her face uh, in a state of pure <laughs> bliss, ecstasy, freedom. Her, her moves in that scene. Wow. That dance scene? She, when she does The Dentist. Mm. <laughs> Powerful. Academy, three-time Academy Award winner. I, I, I mean, we're going to get to it when we get to it, but, and I assume this is the show, so I'll get into it. Um, I love that Goldie won the Oscar. It's such a star is born performance, even though she had been doing like television comedy. But Ingrid is by far the best performance in this movie. Oh yeah. And it it, it breaks my heart that she wasn't even nominated. I know. And And Goldie wins. Which is iconic. Like she didn't even go to the show, you know? (laughs) Oh, is that true? I didn't know. She did not go to the show is my understanding. Did she not think she would win? Well, she won the Golden Globe. Huh. Do you remember, maybe you guys remember who won this year, but the year at the Oscars when they had five winners on stage for each acting category, and Goldie was one of the five for supporting actress. They did that a couple. Yeah, it was, but that year I think it was Tilda, Goldie, Taraji P. Henson. Um, That's all I remember. No, 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 no. Taraji P. Henson was a nominee. This was 2008. Penelope Cruz wins the Oscar that year, I think. Right. Yeah. And then you I get Tilda, Tilda, Tilda Swinton opening the envelope and going, Penelope Cruz. <laughs> ah, that's beautiful. That's really a thing of beauty. Do you know who played uh, Ingrid in the stage version, the original production? Uh, Lauren Bacall. Yes, it was really? Lauren Bacall. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which, it, I mean, this is just a classic. I mean, it's like My Fair Lady, right? Um, yes. In that I think Audrey Hepburn is incredible in that film. But mm-hmm. aren't you dying to see Julie Andrews play it on some level? And isn't it sort of yes. a minor transgression against her that she didn't get to yes. play it? And I feel the exactly same way. Right. I feel the same way about Lauren Bacall, who actually would have won an Oscar for this, I think. Right. She could have. Because she only gets the like the makeup nomination, which she was supposed to win for the Mirror mm-hmm. Has Two Faces, and then Juliette mm-hmm. Binoche sweeps in. And doesn't she say in her uh, speech, like, Lauren, I wanted you to win? It was a very like Lauren Bacall was going to win situation, and then she didn't. Yeah. It was one of those. As, ju- as happens. Ju- Juliet had, like, her... It's go- a gold dress, right? Was it... No, was it oh, blue? Did she? It was blue or gold, but it has the shoulders and, like, the cape. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Just oh. stunning. Love to go over Oscar history. Yes. Year. Historians. And the Oscars are going to look very different. Oh. <sighs> Did you see that LA Times article today? Like industry folk chiming in about what like sets are gonna look like, what the Oscars might look like, what um, what are the like, Emmys gonna look like? What yeah, what yeah, that's first. The M- I mean, I keep thinking about this in terms of event production because you know, I work for arts nonprofits and I work with a lot of people who work seasonally, and, and myself included, frankly. And a lot of folks bounce around from festivals to like award shows and sponsored events. And obviously all these people are out of work now and it's a 
tragedy but i'm just thinking if there's no physical if there's no physical festival but i'm not physical festival if there's not a physical show like that's yeah. a lot of work and, and it's like are we I, I feel like we have to like have a disclaimer like we can't go over every tragedy of right now <laughs> like we right. should probably try and have fun but um i we just keep go thinking down about it on the one tragedy that we should discuss is bad education now on hbo <laughs> Core brain strikes again. Actually, writing about it, I ended up feeling like I like it more than I think I do. I don't like it. I know. I didn't watch it, and I've I have resolved never to watch it. Back from Toronto last year, the indignity and the disrespect of naming your film that bad education—it's why. How dare, don't how dare name you? It that? Why would it's, you name it that? I was working. So I was working for an organization, um, and there was a. I think I can say this has been enough years. There was a submission to a screenwriting lab and the title of the script was Through a Glass Darkly. And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> it's I, just think, like, I, I think Bergman might that. have the corner on that market. Let's if rethink. it's specifically an homage, like, okay, but bad education is clearly not. No, not like, at all. I can't, I can't speak to the script. Um, like it has nothing to do with it. So I didn't see Thoroughbreds, so I'm missing out on this major new American independent voice. Hated but Thoroughbreds. Thoroughbreds, they're it. both fine. They're both fine movies. I would say uh, Bad Education is notably better, uh, but the script is bad. I'm sorry to the fans. The script is bad. <laughs> Why? Bad. What's wrong with it? Um, as I... As I wrote, as I wrote in my article that will be live on hypable.com by the time this episode is live, oh, wow. uh, everything that happens in the script is like, I use a basketball metaphor, the ball hits the rim, but then doesn't go in. <laughs> Every single moment is like, just so close. Just, yeah, that's how I felt watching it. And it's like, the they think they're being subtle when really it's just empty. They're thinking nothing but net. That's right. <laughs> There's one good scene at the end. I told Brandon there was one scene I liked about it. Yeah, that's the scene I liked too. And then... What, uh, what's and the scene? I'm not going to watch it. So There's uh, spoilers. There's gonna, Here's a spoiler. Uh, there's sad gay club dancing, Hugh Jackman. And it's, I, I like it, that. I think I'm it was filmed that. in a Palm Springs club that I've oh, been to. Oh, is it? To. And it works and really sure well. Many it's, people just like, have been too. it's just like a long take circling around him as he dances with sad eyes. And it works. I'm glad it's. I'm so glad. it's the end of Gloria? Yes. Yes, yes it is. So even, so even that's stolen from in the In the gay 45 icon. minute denouement in Bad Education. The ending happens 45 minutes before the end of the movie. And then there's 45 minutes of wrapping it up. <laughs> Always that's, a good that's sign. That's also it's what I hated about it. crisp screenwriting, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and the ending, ending, Ben, like the ending moment, I wanted to jump out a window. What is the ending moment? It's like he's in jail, spoiler. And then, oh, yes. and then he walks out to the auditorium and it's like meant to be like poetic and elliptical, but it's just stupid. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. Because yeah. it doesn't mean anything. No, like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, oh, he should be redeemed? Yes, I do like Hugh Jackman playing gay. The role he was born to play. Yeah. Literally. Literally. I just remember the boy from, was it the boy from Oz or the man from Oz? The boy. The boy, boy from, from Oz. Oz. I remember watching Tony that Award Tony's winner. I remember watching the Tony's performance at the time 
and thinking, wow, I had no idea Wolverine was gay. This is fantastic mm. that he's putting himself out there on national television and really leaning into his identity. But he's just the know. greatest showman. This is uh, slander IMO. Oh, that's going to yeah, be my so the greatest movie, showman. The, my, that's going to be my movie club pick. Ah, the greatest showman. I hope that it's not. But <laughs> if it but if it is, there are no bad picks in movie club. It's a horrible it, movie, but I, it is very fun to watch. It would be fun to group watch. I'm excited <laughs> about how Ben and I are sort of sabotaging movie club with all Lady Zemeckis picks. Yes. Are you both doing? Wait, I know we're doing the walk. What are you doing? We're watching Allied, honey. <laughs> Great. Hell yeah. We're going to watch Marion Cotillard explain her 9-11 trutherism while uh, double-crossing the Americans and the Nazis, and it's going to be a real good time. Movie movie club, you get to select whatever your heart desires. So this is the first time we've actually seen each other, but we are involved. We're intimately involved in a movie club with fellow film fags, Matter Spommer, Living Rent Free, and Tiege Slipko. Um, and former guest host. Former guest host. That's oh, correct. Yeah. Was that Lion? No, that was Cameron uh, the, was the Lion King. 1975. Oh, he did the big episode with us. Yeah, oh, boy. where we had like 20 <laughs> movies to watch. He he Including watched a lot Dersu, of movies for us. Or Uzala. That was fun. I watched that on my laptop, like in the middle of nowhere, Idaho, because I was on my way back from Yosemite, and I saw a few movies to watch. Oh, I didn't not know Yosemite. Champagne in Idaho. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I was trying to quote Cactus Flower. I got it, but it was too late. The the moment had passed. I was looking my wine. The moment moment passed. I should get wine. Are you um, not having a beverage? I had a work happy hour and I had a white Mm. claw. I haven't eaten yet. Crack the claw, honey. Get some snacks. I'll chew on the mic. The only I'll... snacks I have in the house are Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Oh, uh, yeah, baby. Which I, I ate half the bag watching Anaconda the other night. Mm. I think then for Hypable, I'm going to write, I'm, like, the, the headline, just how horny is normal people, is, <laughs> is begging to be written. If that hasn't been written already, I would be surprised. Have you started I watching you. it? I watched the first two. It is... Is it horny? Sally it's Rooney. Truly horny. Sally Rooney said, "Yas, horn rights." Uh, on uh, on Fresh Air, David Dean Cooley also revealed himself to have very bad feelings about sex scenes. This is my favorite thing about the normal people discourse: is everyone is revealing themselves to be conservative. There <laughs> is. I I know we already talked about this in our movie club group chat, but. There's a review on IndieWire.com that is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Um, a normal people review where I won't call out the writer if you really want to dig and see who I'm reading, go for it. But yes, this guy has a paragraph where he is like, ordinarily, I find that sex scenes in a television show are, they detract from the story or they are, uh, they're over the top. They're irrelevant. And in this show, the sex scenes really bolster the characters i'm like i'm so thrilled that you're okay with doing the nasty because mm-hmm. you can tell that they're in love like fuck yeah. <clears throat> what that's basically you what uh and you right know there. this is someone who like loved game of thrones you know right it's yeah true Ta- just and talking like, shit and core it was like i always feel like someone's hovering over my shoulder and it stops the narrative flat but it doesn't feel egregious 
just Girl. like you are not 16 watching bad education in the family living room like you do <laughs> not need to look you are an adult <laughs> that watching. reminds me someone sent me a tweet late last night that was like uh the the one 10 second sex scene in the movie i'm watching and then my father who hasn't been seen in 16 years walks in <laughs> Uh, I have the most embarrassing, uh, like someone walking in on a sex scene story. It's not, it's not a story. It's a brief anecdote, but I was watching Borat in high school with a friend, like in his basement and his dad walks down as they're nude wrestling in the hallway. And he thought we were watching, like, he thought we were watching like fetish porn. Fetish gay porn. He was like, what the hell is this? (laughs) It's Borat, Dad. What in tarnation? I remember, I, I, like a million years ago in high school, I showed my parents Mulholland Drive because I was like, you have to see oh, this yeah. movie. And then, like, right and then, like, <laughs> I requested to for, fast forward through the lesbian sex. But what did you, the, but did you fast forward through the furiously sad masturbation? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh-huh. Flicking Perfect. the bean, permissible uh-huh. for the family. <laughs> It is. Mm. I didn't want God, to traumatize I, anyone. I don't think I would ever show a David Lynch film to anyone in my family. I, I don't know. I guess I didn't have anyone else to show it to. I was like, someone must see this. I, Brandon, my mom's the person who told me to watch Twin Peaks. Oh, incredible. When I, when I was like 14. And I, 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 I had heard of it. Because TV Guide had done their, like, a. Uh, their 50 best shows of all time. And I had, and I coveted the article. <laughs> and uh, Twin Peaks was one of them. But you couldn't like watch things. This was like 2002. No, it was, it was a different like, time. I think by like 2005, I was able to like stream it from a Japanese bootleg site. <laughs> and I had like hard coded subs in. It's like 360p. It's like constantly buffering. That's how I watched David Lynch. That's how I watched uh, Volver for the first time. Nice. Which I is a movie poster right behind me as I speak. I watched Volver no. on like three. Oh, let me take a, a screenshot. For the for the yes. for, for the, the twat. For, for the Twitter. Mm. For the twatter. Been, I just watched um, Eric Romare's Suzanne's career, which is like firmly in the new wave. Mm. And I know it's not, we don't talk about Romare when we talk about Ben's French New Wave voiceover, but mm. there is some Does iconic, there is some iconic, it's like Bertrand is like, Guillaume watched Suzanne cross the street and I said, uh, that is no way to treat a lady. Uh, I love it. I love <laughs> so good. the French New Wave voiceover. The monotone. It's just the most magical thing. As I've been watching all of Godard, it just is in every single movie. It makes me so happy. It reminded me of the body politic in Algeria and why France is to blame. <laughs> mm. uh, those, those hippie Frenches having fun. Have you finished Godard? Maybe we can talk for a second about what we've all no, been watching in core. No, I'm still in the 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a whole other month and a half. I take a lot of breaks. It's like I'll watch the like, rush. Yeah, I'll I'll watch like five in a week, and then I'm like, okay, I'll take three weeks off. Mm-hmm. So I'll get back into it soon enough. It was really like I was I was like trying to get through uh, two or three things I know about her because I hadn't seen it yet, and then that's literally the last one I've watched. 
So I am going to watch Piero LeFou as soon as I can. That's that the one. The that, best that's movie the one I've ever seen. No, that that's why. That's the one Godard from your watch that I really feel the need to watch. I mean, I have so many Godard blind spots. I've probably seen four to five Godard films. And I'm yeah. not I'm not a huge Godard guy. Yeah. But, uh, but Piero uh, LeFou uh, seems right up my alley. I think and... you should watch A Woman is a Woman, which is like kind of underrated, but is like has the most fun editing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I love a I love a fun cut, fun snip. Mm-hmm. A fun snip. There is so much fun. Brandon, you've been watching a lot of Ozu, it seems like. Huh? Oh. Zoo. I did um I watched I only watched one. Oh Wait. I thought you watched oh, two. Oh well I watched late spring a million year, what feels like a million years ago. Yeah. Um, I watched the Hillary miniseries, what felt like a million years a million ago. Years ago. But I bet I, I watched, was during um, quarantine. It was during quarantine. And then I watched recently, um, are you referring to my good morning log? I am. Good movie. I will continue to watch more. Good movie? Good morning. Um, What have I been watching? Uh, I've been doing... Final Fantasy. Oh, don't get me started. Final Fantasy VII remake. During quarantine. I watched them. That's because quarantine is I'm looking at my list. I don't really use Letterbox anymore. I have a spreadsheet because I don't want to click through and see that someone gave a movie I love three and a half anymore. I don't want it (laughs) in my life. I was triggered today by Twitter, which I'm off, and Letterbox in tandem, and I won't say what it was because I've already talked enough shit for one episode. But I Mm. it made me so mad. And it was a reminder as to why I need to continue to wean myself off of social platforms. Social media distancing, am I right? I've been having fun with Instagram. (laughs) Instagram is such a tonic, such a balm, doing filters, doing dumb things. I just don't care about people pretending they have a better life than me. Like, that doesn't bother me. Yeah. It's it's the opinions that bother me, and there are no opinions on Instagram. Um, It's great. I thought about posting, like doing, I'd been, I've been off Twitter for probably close to three months now. And the mm-hmm. thing I miss the most is calling out your favorite new to you films at the end of every month. Mm. And I thought about listing them all on Instagram today because we're recording this on the last that day of April. April. I saw, I saw but three posts on Instagram. I, I feel like that tiptoes into opinions. No, that's just sharing. Maybe if I, it's all, if it's all good vibes only. No, that's the thing. Like that's what that's the, why like, it's okay. It's I'm because it's I'm people not being sure. like here are the best movies I watched this month, and you're just I'm like, not sure. Oh, good. I don't think I've seen anything that I loved this month that you hate, but but that's but I might next month. I mean, someone loving something that I don't like isn't a bother. It's I agree. You know, it's it's yeah, me so liking yeah. something and someone says they don't like it. That's the problem. Well, I'm having a bit of an issue. Maybe I'll talk a little shit. Um, so I Circus of done. Books. So Circus of Books has hit Netflix. Sure um, has. This was our opening night film at Outfest last year. Probably the most moving moment of my life as a like of, of my gay Los Angeles life mm-hmm. is the director of Circus of Books, who is the daughter of the owners of Circus of Books. And for anyone who doesn't know, Circus of Books was like a landmark gay erotica emporium in Los Angeles, um, both porn and sex toys, et cetera, et cetera. It was a big deal and it's closed now. But the director asked the audience at the Orpheum Theater downtown, so like old school movie palace, 
for anyone who went to Circus of Books or has a Circus of Books story to stand up and like half of the Orpheum of just like gay men of all ages, like all walks of life, like standing up and it was just like, I sobbed. But anyway, so Circus of Books has hit Netflix. I think it's well worth the watch. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these logs that are like, and of course I'm biased because of what I just said, but like these logs that are saying, you know, I think that the director could have used some more distance from her parents. And I'm like, the movie is intentionally a home movie. That's the point. Mm. Like, I don't yeah. know. I haven't watched it, so I can't chime in. But no, it's that that's insane for anyone to <laughs> say that. It's like, you shouldn't you should never be this it's intimately involved. You should never be this intimately involved with your subjects. It It lacks objectivity. I'm like, the movie is about the her parents between their family life in the suburbs as a respectable like respectable los angeles jews mm. uh concern i think orthodox and then the fact that this literal like mom and pop ran a mom and pop store that sold hardcore gay pornography like that split of identity is the entire point of the movie and how ultimately they are interwoven together and that they're not as far apart as you think yeah people like to think the documentary is journalism also, let's talk about that. And, Kamala Harris, uh, I would, let's have that conversation. I would like to have that conversation. It's not necessarily. It can be, if that's what you want it to be. But it can be a personal essay. It can be, uh, I don't know. It can basically be a narrative. Mm-hmm. We're in a point now where lots of documentaries feel like full-on narrative films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Honeyland. I'll, yeah, all it means is that there's no script and that I, theoretically based on real life things. I think that with the proliferation of documentary quote unquote content, kill me, on mm-hmm. streaming platforms like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and some of these documentaries are very good and most of them are issue documentaries that are told with talking heads. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be some sort or of like- true crime. I was, I was about to say, or there's this salacious detail from an objective observer who was able to put new eyes on a case. Like yeah. it sets up this expectation that a documentary needs to have distance mm-hmm. between filmmaker and subject. And that's just such a um, facile and one dimensional way of looking at a form that takes myriad forms. Yeah. I, think I mean, like, look at Varda. To, yeah. yeah, Varda oh, is God. what I was thinking. All of her movies are, like, personal essays. Not all of them. All of her documentaries, pretty much. I just, I just watched Vagabond for the first time, and even that is almost told as, as a... It's not told as a mockumentary, but mm-hmm. Ben, you watched it, right? I did, recently, not you, too long ago. Those it feels inter- like seven years ago. The interstitials are essentially mockumentary. No, they are not scripted. Those are what I'm. What I'm saying is, is that when you take that and butt it up against the scripted parts of it, yeah, like it, it, yes, to your point, like they're talking about they're talking about the woman that she was inspired by, correct? Right, and they're like right. the real people. Right. So maybe documentary is the wrong word, but more like you can view Vagabond as a documentary hybrid. Yeah. Even though most of the film, it's I wouldn't even say recreation; it's reinterpretation because Varda wasn't yeah. there. Yeah, totally. and I believe she voice o- she has voiceover in the very beginning of the film, right? Varda does. If it's not Varda, it's a female, a French I female voice. But it's basically like I I I walked the road and 
heard all these stories of people whose lives were touched by I believe uh, it. How great is the um, academic woman who she picks I don't up? Remember? Okay, well, watch Vagabond. Been too long. Is this still on? All I really channel. I guess all I remember yeah. is when she vomits on herself. Oh, that's a quarantine Dark. mood. <laughs> There's a lot of darkness in Vagabond. Yeah, <laughs> I I um I think because I've been saving that film for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Ever since the three of us ducked out of the double feature of Gleaners Nine Vagabond that uh, mm. Varda was there for, when yeah. she said that she wasn't going to stick around for a Q and A after Vagabond, but was instead going to introduce that film, which was the B feature, we all split yeah. after she spoke. Mm-hmm. It's been like I've been saving it for a rainy day, yeah, thinking that it's her best film, and um, I mean it was incredible. But I've watched so many more of her films now that to circle back around to this, I'm like, yeah, this is great, but I think Documenteur is better, and no one mm. ever talks about it. Yeah. Who was someone just recently just said Documentor was probably her best movie? I that it movie it, it was not me? No, it was like in a in it, an interview. I think it's like her third story. best movie. It was in some interview with someone. I don't know. I I I mean part going back to like Godard, as I feel like I've said ten thousand times on the podcast, I always prefer Varda and to some extent Truffaut over the Godard films that's in the French New Wave because mm-hmm. when it comes to disrupting the form with Varda and Truffaut, I feel like they're letting you in on the joke. And with Godard, mm-hmm. and I know this is unfair and not actually what's happening, but with Godard, it's sort of like he's playing a trick on you. Um, I don't and, know if that is inaccurate, though. I, I mean, well, I was actually going to say something meaner about Godard, and then I was like, I've had enough slander for one night. Um, I mean, going. He's a jerk and he thinks he's the best. And you know, uh, player's gonna play. Mm-hmm. But what was I gonna and say? I enjoy, I enjoy oh, that in the filmmaker. But do, in Documentor, Varda twists the idea of voyeurism in a really fascinating way when you consider um, like what Hitchcock has had to say about voyeurism, for instance, and that it's this inherently perverse act, like what Michael Powell mm. has said about voyeurism. Like all cinema yeah. is voyeurism, and there's this idea that that makes film lovers sick freaks. But mm-hmm. Varda like twists it and makes voyeurism both a projection of your own thoughts and feelings and like a window into the soul rather than mm. some sort of violation through yeah. snooping. And so it's just like, I, I, I love the way that she plays with things like that. Like it, she, she's, I'm not saying she's like an optimist to the point of being naive, but her insight is profoundly positive. And that's- yeah. True about Vagabond, too, which is a devastating film. Mm-hmm. She does have a, uh, a positive worldview. I mean, and she, she should be spoken of in the present tense because I think that she and David Bowie are both immortal. True. True. Yeah, anyway. I agree. Um, who's in charge this week? Are we, uh, do we need to say anything else? Are we all the captains at once? Oh yeah. my god. I need water sit? and wine. This makes a lot of sense as like a Birkenstock wearing person, but I've been trying mm. to buy local beer during quarantine. Oh. To... How's that going? Well, I'm not drinking that much beer because um, I'm not moving my body very much right now. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I, I'd say every like three weeks, I'll place an order at a brewery and pick it up. That's great. I drove, I drove all the way out to Inglewood to get the beer I'm drinking right now. That's a long drive. It's a long drive. From where you live. It was very needed, though. That's good. I joined a wine club, everyone. I, yeah, talk about wine club. It's uh, called First Leaf. 
they sent me six bottles of wine. Matter Spammer did it first and told me to do it. And if you use the code MoviesIMO at checkout, you get... Uh, I wish. <laughs> I wish I got a discount. But they have a great first month deal, so that's why I did it. And I'm drinking have, some of their wine right now. Do you want to do a Psalm Corner? Um, no, because I'm not skilled enough in knowing what wine is. But this is from Paso Robles. Mm. Uh, it doesn't have any sort of indication of what kind of red wine it is, so I'm assuming it's some sort of blend. It's kind of fruity. Oh, we're getting some fruit on the palate. Feels fruity. I was thinking about... Um, having a chilled red on the podcast mm. where there's been a bit of a debate about the merits of a chilled red wine in our movie club group chat. So I chose not to stir it the has. pot, not to stir the barrel of wine, so to speak. Is that what Brandon's drinking? Brandon, is that a chilled red? Sorry, Brandon, um, uh, it was, is, that, is that a chilled red wine you're drinking? Why, what am I sitting on? <laughs> oh, it was, um, it felt wet, but it was the, the metal, the metal, the, the metal of this oh well this is a visual medium so everyone can see the metal rod you're holding up <laughs> yeah it's the tassel the it's lead a, pipe this is a chilled it red a you chilled can actually red. see how That's chilled how, it how is chilled it was as you walked up daniel was already talking about how he was going to drink a chilled red you're allowed to chill a pinot noir i that's what i was told i think been... because you're allowed to do something doesn't mean that you should once this corn, once we're allowed ben to wags meet, his finger. <laughs> once we're about to meet in like small groups of two to three, mm -hmm. and everyone's comfortable, I would love for you guys to come over and sit in the front mm -hmm. yard, and we'll we'll do our July Fourth tradition of drinking four to seven bottles of rosé, and I will introduce a chilled red yes. just to see what the group thinks. Ben's just to see throw it on the ground. No, just to see. Ben Ben can spit it out, but. Just I mean, I've, I've had that chilled red before. I know. Have I just, you? I'm just kidding. I have. I know. I believe you. This is like, when was the last See, time? That's the only we... time of the year I drink rosé, too, is when we, when we drink it in bulk. Yes, that's, in the front that's yard. It's my only time. Otherwise, mm. I don't really drink any sort of refrigerated wine. You couldn't have a refrigerated wine in the Middle Ages, so it's not wine. Okay, yeah. but I would, but I would counter. No, I, I knew you would say that. I counter with. I counter with. Have I been sitting on this for two weeks? Perhaps. I counter with. But there were wine cellars in the Middle Ages that were underground and had a cooler mm -hmm. temperature. The, yeah. the 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 idea of a wine cellar is not something that you know it was invented a hundred years ago or in the last twenty years with a trendy grape that used to be served chilled. But like for, all wine, for, all wine should be Buttigieg fans. Uh, yeah, well, no, a, a That's wine. That's why the wine, yeah. the wine cellar was invented. I can't believe. I mean, I'm officially making like the centrist and elitist point simultaneously. I'm advocating on behalf of wine caves, but even red wine is supposed to be served at like 68 or 69 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, my nice. wine is not warm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Fire. drinking it out of a brandy sifter so I can heat it with my hands as I drink it. <laughs> oh my goodness. What it's just... I, I was watching a movie recently that involved brandy snifters, but I can't remember what it is. Titanic? Watched... Might have been Titanic. I okay, so definitely I... talk about brandy. 
I've watched 80 films over the last month and oh, change. I just counted. I'm at 65 for quarantine. Well, really? I'm, at six, I'm at 64. You do for it for work, too. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm at 60. Well, I'm, I'm at more than 80. I'm at 64 for pleasure. Uh-huh. Um, and then I've watched another 20 to 30 wow. features on top of that. I think I've been splitting my time between movies and television. You watched all of Sex and the City. I watched Sex and the City from season one, episode one, through Sex and the City 2 from 2010. I don't know what year. Yeah, I think 10 was the last movie. (sighs) What a journey that was. And now I'm looking for my next journey. My Six Feet Under rewatch has turned into a whole thing of rotating five favorite shows to rewatch, which are Six Feet Under, The Sopranos, which I started rewatching last year, so I'm in season five, uh, Breaking Bad, The Wire, and Buffy, The Vampire Slayer. Do you do like one, one of each show a night, or how do you, like one night it, is an episode of- Is it, is it mood dependent? Um, it, there is an official rotation of one episode of one show a night just before bed. So just one hour. Does it go in the same loop? Yes, I have changed it because it's like, I've seen Buffy a hundred times. So it's easier to watch if I've had a long day than Breaking Bad. So like I swapped that out once. Mm -hmm. Are you doing Breaking Bad because you're sad Saul is gone? Actually, I've been meaning to rewatch it for a while because I've only seen it when it aired, I've never mm-hmm. rewatched any of Breaking Bad, and I wanted to. Uh, Isn't Better Call Saul even better than Breaking yes, Bad? Yes, I think so. That's what a lot of people say, and that's sort of what I would like to rewatch this for. Am I just misremembering? So but I think my it room- is. My roommate, who like Ben, has been watching Better Call Saul the entire time and thinks that it's deeply profound. He and I have been watching Better Call Saul because I watched the first season, thought it was amazing, and then went into a deep depressive funk when the second season came out and couldn't keep up. So I've been, I'm on season four right now. And I think unquestionably it is better than Breaking Bad. The moral dilemmas are thornier and more devastating. And I think that there's something more interesting about a man trying to hold on to his soul rather than a man who willfully gives it up. I've said that exact same thing to someone before, that it's Jimmy. His name is Jimmy, not Saul. Jimmy what? is, yes, Saul is his fake lawyer name. Brandon, you are going to love Better Call Saul. Yeah. I should Jimmy is, I mean, what am I waiting for? Trying to do the right thing. He just has questionable morals, but he, he, it's a much, Breaking Bad is very like, fuck yeah, man shit. Which, of course, right. I, I think I... And it's very exciting to watch, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, to be fair, I agree with you, by the way, but to be fair, I think that part of that is an audience who would, gets more excited about the hoorah He-Man stuff. When I think yeah. Gilligan, I think Vince Gilligan was trying to show, like, the gradual slipping of a soul into hell. Yeah. But, you know, male audiences especially. And maybe that's because it is such an exciting show that... Yeah that that line is not drawn quite as um, painfully as Better Call Saul. But yeah, that's actually, I, I mean, think, I'm... Uh, Walter White is not Tony Soprano in terms of Shades of Grey to me. Like, Walter White uh, is a lot more just like gung-ho 
whereas Tony Soprano really feels like a deep sadness. It's I, the shame thing that I talked about, that I have, a, I have trouble relating to people who don't project shame at all times. Yeah, sure. Walter White doesn't have the shame factor. I think Walter White is more like a George Saunders short story character and that he, like, his feel, like, he has a sense of entitlement. He has a sense of disappointment, even though he's married, has a house, has a kid. But he, Tony Soprano is not a victim of the American dream in the same way that Walter White is. Tony, Tony Soprano is, I wouldn't know what to compare him to, but I, I think that they're very separate. I think they have very separate spiritual journeys. And I think that yeah. they have a different set of expectations for what life is supposed to give them. Yeah. And I think that is something that they have in common is that they both have an ax to grind about why life is not giving them what they think they deserve. Mm-hmm. But Walter White's is for a type of significance that Tony Soprano knows he already has in, right. in terms of respect from the men around him. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. Ben, I want to float a theory by you quickly because I know we have Linda to talk about trying to join films. the chat. Linda? Linda, bring it, Linda, bring it on. Pick her up. But mother is asleep in the window. She doesn't want to be picked up, but she does keep like hovering around. Come here. She she wants to know who are you speaking to? This is a visual <gasps> medium. Hi, Linda. Oh, here I'll take a a, a screen grab. <gasps> can you can you look? You know you hate it, don't you? <laughs> I got a good one. She is a sweet, sweet girl. Is. Oh my God, she's sticking around. She's sticking around. I know. Let's see if she will. Hi. Okay, she's Ben. I want. Now... I want to. I want to float the theory uh-huh. past you. Oh, she looks it's not, like a It's blur. not a theory. It's a comparison. I think that Jimmy and Kim's relationship, mm-hmm. and because Brandon hasn't seen it, I'm not going to be too specific in my analysis. It yeah. remind. It reminds me of in a lonely place, so oh. much. That's really yeah. interesting. The idea of just like two people who love each other very much, but at the same time, they're going to get in their own way. Yeah. And they're, walk- and, they're, and they're walking around like it's not happening. And they're, mm-hmm. pretend- they're, they're fooling themselves into thinking it's working. Uh, you just wait till you get to the end. I'd... Rhea Seahorn is um, transcendent. And she is. She's, the most, she's one of the most interesting characters on TV. Ever. Ever. Someone who watches like two shows, but ever. <laughs> it's true though. I it's okay. Really I, I'm also rewatching Sopranos. I'm on season two, which is difficult to get through because it's my least favorite season. Um, it's very strange season. I I finally finished Broad City, which oh my god, um, which I wrote off the final season because I thought it was bad. I thought it was a load of, a load of fan service. No, it's mm. better than. And I previous. thought it was I thought it was incredible. Like finishing, I thought it was great. I finally finished Veep. I, I still Did you think, hate it? I didn't hate it. I still think they're punching down. Mm-hmm. I think you really it lose turned into SNL in the last like run of episodes. I still think like I think that Anna Klumsky is a very gifted comedian and can do mm-hmm. no wrong, and and she nailed the Kellyanne Conway bit. But, but Amy Amy would don't never. give her that. Don't give her Amy that. Amy would never. No, they they fucked her character. They yeah, they her. did. It's really bad. But I, I did think that the uh, ending ending of Veep was very funny, though. Where she's, like, dead? Where she's spoiler. dead, but... Spoiler, <laughs> spoiler alert. Spo- spoiler to the end of Veep. When, 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 she's, when, when the announcement of her death on the news is interrupted by Tom Hanks' death, oh. the, image, the Ooh, image that they use is trenching. an image of Tom Hanks in front of an Outfest step and repeat. 
Oh, it really? is. It is. Yeah, I'm I remember. Shocked. I remember uh, squealing at that when it originally aired in um, 2006. So we've been going Does, for about 40 minutes. Oh, go ahead. Ben. I, was, I was just gonna say. I was just gonna make a dumb joke. Does the does the Veep ending make note of the fact that the the Hanks vaccine for coronavirus was delivered from his blood? I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I'm going to try to get us I like how it's the like, topic at hand. Rita Wilson, we're good, love. We need Tom's blood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, she's too busy recording her, you know, con- what is it, like country pop? Her albums. Album? Mm, I wanted I to know. see her at Barnes & Noble, but I didn't go. I think that the two best pieces of casting in the history of motion pictures and television are James Woods in Videodrum mm-hmm. and Rita Wilson in Girls. Uh, oh, great. as Marnie's mom, so good. As her jewel sucking. Oh, I was gonna rewatch mother. that. Like a nice, like, like girls from from Sex and the City watch. to Girls. I mm. silently rewatched Girls last year. I know you did. It wasn't silently. too silent to me. Yeah, I, I think we talked about it. I heard you. Were you rewatching it? I'm sure it holds up. Yeah, I think it really does. It was a good show. It was a great show. I miss it. Should we well, pivot into the should we program? we introduce the show? We haven't even, this is like, well, the podcast is dead, so we can go on for as long as I th- we want. I thought we just true. weren't introducing the show, and this was going to be the episode. This is, this is the episode. I, I mean, mean I've, already, I've already lost 45 percentage points on my battery, so I mean, they're going to have to go grab my charger, or we're going to have to move. <laughs> Let's do decide. A, do a move. <laughs> Move into the move into the boudoir. Is it that won't affect the audio. No, I meant we have to move speed wise. Oh, oh, oh we can, well, can't can't we you can move. physically move to a charger? Yes. I was just joke. I was making a joke. Oh. We're trying to have fun here. We're trying to blow Sorry. some steam. It's a I was stressful trying to make time. a joke that we were it's an uncertain time. It's a tragic time. It. We're trying to we're trying to lighten the mood. Okay, shut up. <laughs> we're trying to okay. So this is movies IMO. Yes. <laughs> is it? This was once movies. Allegedly, IMO. yeah. Th- we, this is like the reanimated corpse of movies. I yes. the reanimated, reanimated version. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, this yeah. is our second zombie. It's episode. our third. It's our third. We've come back to the, from the dead three times. Yeah, the 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 two part six. Because we did a two parter. Oh, that the counts. Episode. Oh, okay. That has mm-hmm. to count. I mean, we met two separate times. Yeah. It's not like we recorded for six hours all at once and then split okay. it up. Uh, okay. I was, when we recorded that, I was so nervous before. I was like, Jesus. guys, I'm just going to suggest that we stop recording because <laughs> I can't talk about 12 more movies. We've been going for two and a half hours. No one has commented what my name is. It's Sally Rooney. I was about oh. to call it out. Thank well, you. it said Michael Verratti earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Sally, thank you for saying Hort rights. Let's see. Uh, what can I make mm. you, Daniel? There we go. What can I? Oh, make you're in you charge. Oh, I'm Ingrid the captain Bergman. now. Oh my god. I have a less um, dynamic background now, though. I um. Oh, Ben's name is Linda. I um. <laughs> you know what? My so I'm like, I have a quarantine wish list that 16 films, including one we're going to talk about, that are like either blind spots or just things I want to watch. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's been, I've been watching whatever the hell I want, but it's sort of like when I get stuck or when I, I, I've been watching movies every Saturday morning at like 9 a.m. Mm. on our projector, nice. which has been, it's been like the best part of my week. I look forward to it every like week. A little, a little coffee and, movie. Exactly. I love a coffee movie. Mm. Exactly. 
And, um, oh, God damn it. I don't remember where I'm going with this. Only to say that one of the movies that I were talking about is on it. Oh, Ingrid Bergman. Um, I decided after watching, after watching the movie that we're going to talk about, which we'll say in a second, that I am going to watch Stromboli in Europa mm. 51. Wow. Because Journey Love to Italy is amazing. Um, but I want to watch the Rossellini Bergman movies. Perfect. That's all That's I was going to say. I'm, I'm going to watch them in the mornings. How fun. That's beautiful. It but is really I, nice to watch a movie in the morning. Ben, I think you were saying something about a program. This is allegedly... Oh! <laughs> maybe something to announce, something to condemn, something to cancel, something that's been canceled. This is the canceled Movies IMO. We're here recording on the same day as the Parks and Rec Zoom reunion. Um, I understand. <laughs> and I have left... And I have left. I have left all the faucets on in my house mm. in commemoration. It's oh, for charity. Polar's good work. Perfect. Um, I, I have friends back home watching it, and they were. I don't want to watch it, but I was a huge. Okay, full disclosure. I was a huge fan of that show. I don't want to revisit it, and I don't want to watch that special. Um, but uh, they were updating me on on what it is, and yeah. I think that the internet has been unfair to Parks and Recreation in hindsight. Like the idea that. You know, that uh, Leslie was obsessed with Joe Biden, for instance, that now is viewed as a mark of the show's no, centrism. No, that but bullshit. I'm not canceling the show because no, I'm not canceling Broad City because of the Hillary. The Hillary thing. No, no, no. But I want to just, I think that we need to make the record clear. It, it's not that, I mean, I'm not speaking to the politics of the people involved. I am not speaking for any of that. But to just assume that the show is inherently centrist because it celebrates Joe Biden or that Broad City mm. is inherently um, white feminist in the mm-hmm. way that it celebrates Hillary Clinton, I think it's to totally misread those moments where mm-hmm. I, I think that Joe Biden did a pretty good job of convincing us that he was a lot more progressive while he was you the vice president. think about when that yeah. happened. What timeline of life we were in. It's just, it's a different time. And like, I don't, I would probably rewatch Parks and enjoy myself, but it wouldn't mm-hmm. mean, it wouldn't mean to me what it meant to me. That show meant the world to me in like, <laughs> what sophomore year of college or something and this is even while amy poehler is very rude to you on a red carpet still can we say that story sure. oh, okay good do, do, have just I got an up? email from my landlord from about, amy no about my, oh. about about rent due on the first oh, fuck off my friend um who i'm sure will listen to this my friend rachel <laughs> got got a notice from her landlord last month taped onto her front door that said hi everyone I've been hearing a lot of complaints about tenants not being able to make the rent. Something about losing their jobs. Something about record unemployment. I don't know. I just need to get my money. So I've decided that I'm going to throw you all a bone and take $50 out of your rent this month. Out of, from the, from the wow. bottom of my so gracious, nice. gracious heart. I'm taking out 50 bucks. Wow. So that you, is can, nice. you can stuff your unemployment and a sack for all I care, because I'm giving you 50 bucks off. Which is, which is basically like a podcast code on a wine club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, Daniel, do you watch Better Things? Uh, it's been a while. Well, you, okay. Well, th- then you know when Sam goes, <clears throat> she does that weird, like, yes. <laughs> uh-huh. I've, been, like do- I've been, like, doing that to myself, <laughs> puttering okay. around my house going, <laughs> <laughs> we're all... We're all losing our minds. <laughs> well, so we are your favorite 
Fags. Allegedly. Um, I'm Ben MP. I'm Daniel Crook. <laughs> Very nice. I had to get it in. I didn't want it. To, I didn't want it to talk at the same time. Um, and we are here. <laughs> uh, to we talk. are the dynamic duo I'm here sweating. to talk to you about the uh, the the. Uh, did Brandon say his name? No. Yeah, I oh. did. Oh, you did. Sally did. Rooney. Oh, Sally Rooney. I'm Brandon Kirby. Um, Brandon Kirby. Allegedly. And, I don't know who uh, I am anymore. I don't know I don't who, know who I, I am anymore. <laughs> I have have any of us tried to cut their hair? I don't think so. Oh, Girl, I've been doing light oh. trims. I said cut your hair, not color it, Daniel. No, no, I'm saying look at my roots. Uh, I, have not, I have not cut my hair. Got look it. at those roots. Just saying, like, if, I guess that's... They my hair still, still be looks there, pretty good. Your hair looks yeah, great, yours, man. Yours looks normal. Right. It just gets, like, poofy on the edges. Because there's volume, but as as the as the poof in chief, as I run yeah. my fingers through my flop mm-hmm. of hair, um, it can be a look, and yeah. it looks good on you. Well, thank you. And Brandon, loving what? your loving your do, loving your updo. I've You've done, done a little. I've been doing cutting. minor maintenance around the edges. Mm. Great. I've decided that. Um, you guys have seen, this is like kind of a poll, but you guys have seen the John Early Kate Berlant short, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You remember, do you remember the character Blaine, the really cute guy with the blonde, the beach, the, uh, the dyed or bleached blonde hair, but it like I comes down. I don't know down, if I do. It like, it like comes down to like right above his shoulders. But I would like to know him. I'm gonna Same. grow my, I think I'm gonna grow my hair out to like shoulder line. Oh my god! I mean, like if I don't if I don't have to be in public for a long time, yeah, I'm gonna do it. It's true. And I've got a I've got a new box of dye right over here on my desk. Oh, perfect! So I'm thinking about it. That is so perfect. Living my Blaine fantasy, living my my Cradley Booper fantasy. Cradley Boop. And what 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 in the hell are we doing? Oh, we are here today to talk about. Sorry, I was playing the short film Rachel in the background by accident. I was, trying, I was quickly going to try to look up this person. Probably um, a better use of everyone's time. Watch um, Rachel, it's 12 minutes. We are here going to talk about the favorite movies we watched during quarantine. Yes. Um, uh, mine is a bit of a cheat because I didn't actually, I watched it for the podcast, but my first choice film Goodbye Dragon End by Chiming Lang was not available on a streaming site. So I chose another durational, another piece of durational cinema. Mm-hmm. Right, would you like to announce yours now? Yes, which was on my aforementioned wish list. So I was planning on getting around to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Meetings of Anna by Chantal Ackerman is my pick. Mm-hmm. What a Great. film. Mine is also not available anywhere, <laughs> but I, I made us watch it anyway. Um, you can buy it on Blu-ray if you are yeah, lucky enough to be able to. It's on the Criterion uh, selection, so maybe it'll be on the channel. It has been before. Is A Matter of Life and Death, the Powell and Pressburger film. Wow. And Brandon? I selected, it's not my favorite movie I watched during quarantine, so I don't really know why I selected it. But boy, is it a fun romp. I thought we all deserve some fun. It is literally a romp. I it love is, it. It is Don't a you love a sex farce? It mm-hmm. is a true sex farce. 
It is Cactus Flower. Directed by Goldie, Goldie Hawn. <laughs> directed by Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawns. And Goldie Jimmy Hans. and Boomer Jimmy Stewart. Oh my god, that guy. That man so looks dreamy. just like Jimmy. So god. dreamy. Talks like him too. I, I would have made like... such a fool of myself in front of him in college if I knew him, you know? In your during your frat house phase? Mm-hmm. <sighs> right. so hot I so I feel like we should talk about Cactus Flower last because it's the most joyous well I think Matter of Life and Death has some fairly joyful moments okay true and I think Meeting Savannah has some joyful moments on opposite day oh. so it Meh. depends depends Meh. what day of the week it is <laughs> better things now streaming on, on FX on Hulu does anyone want to give a shout out to any other movies you've watched during core? Well, late I feel like spring. we did that already. Um, okay. late, late spring, the man who fell to earth, never rarely, um, sometimes always, incredible. Mindy Kaling's Never Have I Ever. Oh, did you watch it? Oh my god! Once I started, I couldn't stop. Oh, how fun! It's so good. Paxton Alyoshida, you're allowed to thirst. For him, because he's 29 years old. Does he play a team? He's one of the teens? Yeah. The lead is actually 18, though. Oh, wow. I would shout out Full Moon in Paris and the Green Ray Mm. by Romare. Those were incredible. Uh, I finally watched Munich, which... Oh. I, I can't think of another movie except for maybe The Meetings of Anna, where every sequence is ratcheting up and ratcheting up and ratcheting up. And generally where a film would give the release, it just makes you feel worse. Mm. Like Munich, Munich. like you just feel sick, so sick to your stomach and like dragged through the mud by the end of that movie, even though you've watched like five immaculately tuned action set pieces. Mm -hmm. It's just that they, or maybe not action set pieces, like set pieces built around deadly tension. Right. But by the time the fever breaks, you're still sick. So I liked Munich. Goodbye, Dragon Inn. And I also saw Chiming Lang's new film, uh, which I can't talk about, but I also thought was great. Uh, Lady from Shanghai. Oh, I mm. want to watch that. Uh, Bright Star. Oh, my mm. God. Oh, I want to watch There's that. There's a shot in Bright Star with Ben Wishaw on, from the treetops that is just stunning. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Mm. I've watched a lot of other stuff I liked. Vagabond. Now Voyager. Uh, now Voyager. The ultimate glow up film. What a film. Um, I need need to get a beer. um, And maybe when I come back, we can jump into it. Yeah. Truth be told, I've been doing a lot of video gaming because it takes more time. Mm. It's like... It's It's 40 hours instead of... Well, I mean, six seasons of a TV show is also 8 million hours. So never mind. Take it back. Yeah. Saul has been great in that regard. It's more escapist for me, personally. It makes me not think about the slow dissolve of humanity. Sure. How did Meeting Savannah go over for you, then? Okay. I, that actually, <laughs> I, I, that was a coffee morning movie for me. Okay, I'm about to open a beer that I dropped from the fridge, so oh, we might get a, here we go. We might get, we might get an explosion on the mic. Oh. That sounded sexual. Got a little bit. Yeah, that also looks sexual. Oh. Yikes. Wow. I understand Anderson Cooper. 
had a baby tonight. Yeah, that's really? a CNN push notification. Oh, me. how great. I don't know where did he adopt it? Was there a surrogate? I don't know, but he has a baby now. That's cool. Okay, very happy for Anderson. I'm not sure that CNN should be using their push notifications to yeah, alert no. personal news about an anchor. I don't think so either, but great. Is it, is it breaking? That? Brandon, this is a visual medium, but I can't <laughs> see it. Uh, yeah, CNN wanted to need wanted me to uh, be informed. Okay, should I? I, I can uh, be the captain, and we can talk about okay. meetings of Anna. Let's Great. begin. Okay, so the meetings of Anna. I watched this last night. I made some notes. Uh, I'll start with my first note. I wish I had made notes. I did not. I made, made notes. I made this my, many notes. My first note is Brandon no, was holding up a zero. My no, first note. I was holding up a hundred. You made a hundred notes? Wow. Wow. <laughs> Do they all look the same? Like all the towns and all the train stations and the meeting Savannah? Mm. Yes. So my first note is no butt stuff. Did we all no <laughs> butt stuff? She did we did all want to do butt stuff? It is really hard as a queer woman who is trying to come out of the closet, but you are still mm. with a man. It is hard when that man will not let you do butt stuff when you, you are trying want to it. explore your burgeoning lesbianism. Get away from my pooper, he said <laughs> to Anna <laughs> in the boudoir. <laughs> that guy, I mean, okay, so I, no. I, I'm, I'm trying so hard not to say this because I challenge anyone listening or the two of you to come up with a more facile observation for a white cis gay man to make about a piece of seminal um, feminist film. And to mm. say, wow, the men in this film really are toxic, huh? They are, though. But they, they are! They are, though. Like, the, are. The, the, what, the, else, guy, what else can you say? The guy that won't let Anna do butt stuff is awful. But he's like, God, I wish I was a woman because then I could be pregnant. At least I'd feel something. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, there's nothing, be- there's nothing better than hearing a woman sing. Will you sing for me? And then she sings quite beautifully and a deep Piaf song. And then, he goes, <laughs> and, then, and, then and then he goes, ah, I feel sick. Will you like, will you rub my <laughs> back? Go to the but no butt stuff. But no uh, butt stuff. No butt stuff. But oh, when back. she sings, that's so rough. I know. So rough. Uh, what did you guys think about the meeting, Savannah? Uh, I was quite floored and quite <laughs> devastated. I was very moved by it. I um, had a thought and I lost it. I don't remember. It'll come back to me. Someone else speak. <laughs> I just, I felt like I was um, like lulled into just, you know, following along. And then I got punched in the face. The Chantal spell. Mm. There it is. Baby. Yes, there is that. Very Jean Dielman. It's the oh, I know, I know what I thought. It's like Jean Dielman travelogue edition. I think that's fair. It is. There's a lot of just like staring out into the distance. She's just well, forced and, to listen to stupid people complain. And there's an element of um, res- routine that becomes restrictive. Uh-huh. The idea. Well, oh, I should say what the film is about. The Meanings of Anna, which is uh, I almost said Jean Dielman's follow up to Chantal Ackerman. Chantal Ackerman's mm. follow up to Jean Dielman. <laughs> was this it's a direct next film? I don't know if it was the direct next film, but I think this is her next feature. Oh, sure. Because News from Home was around that time, too, but that's Question. not a narrative. How yeah. hard would it be to how hard would it be to research this before you get on the mic? How hard? You know, and, and it's yet, okay. 
anyway, our but brain. It, it, it's, it's like it's, old times, even though we're using technology, we're it's pretending true. we don't have the technology. It's true. And there's also no mics here. We're all just talking into our headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, Meeting Zavanna is Chantal Ackerman's, we'll call it a follow-up to Jean Dielman. It is about a young film director named Anna, although everyone else calls her Anne, who is traveling across cities in Europe to, she's traveling with her film, uh, with her latest film. And she has a series of encounters with One Night Stands, old friends, her mother, uh, a current boyfriend, all in hotel rooms for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she doesn't have much to say, you know? Mm-hmm. She's, she's hearing these men pour their hearts out to her. And iconically, to several of them, all she has to say is, we. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating about the film is that if you're picking up on the context clues, you begin to get an idea of who this woman is, but more importantly, who this woman was and what she's, ru- a persona that she's running away from or a persona yeah. that she has abandoned and is trying to discover herself now. Um, I think that it is a great story of someone who has one foot almost out of the closet, mm-hmm. be- leaving the straight world to mm-hmm. yeah. become a queer person. Yeah. That's Something what the movie is. That really struck me about this movie is that, um, Everyone keeps telling her, like, oh, it must be so great to be a creative person and to be an artist. But what we see in the movie is her doing the the capitalist things that are involved with being a filmmaker. She's on a press tour and she's being shuttled from place to place and she's on a strict timetable. There's the devastating ending where she gets home. And there's a message on her machine of like, okay, so next weekend you have to be be in these seven cities in six days. And it's like, this is the the monotonous work to actually earn a living to be able to do the stuff that she actually wants to do. I think there's also an element of that of just the guilt of having a life as a child Mm. in terms of her relationship with her mother and the relationship Mm -hmm. with her family friend whose son she was briefly engaged to twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and to what to Ben's point, what you were saying, they repeat this refrain of like, wow, what you're doing is so fun. You get to travel, like lucky you, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. The rest of us are trying to get over the second world war. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, I don't know. There's, she's, she's being punished for having a career. She's being punished for doing what she wants to do. Even though, like Ben said, she's also being forced to do all these laborious elements that come with the enterprise of film Mm -hmm. uh, in that press tour, even though she clearly hates it and she has no time to do anything. Right. She's just like waiting for phone calls in her apartment. She's, there's no sightseeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's just, there's just men growing attached to her. Yeah. Cause she's on call. She just has to wait. And then she tries to have a human connection and they tell it, they invite her over for dinner with mom on the day and, that and, you met. And, and daughter. daughter. Mom yeah. and daughter on the day that you met. <laughs> and then and then after the dinner, he's like, they're standing on the front porch and this is a great shot. Mm. And he's telling her, wow, you did a really good job. They really liked you. I can tell that they, <laughs> they're really digging you and, and they want you to stick around. And, you know, my wife left me for a Turkish man and... <laughs> you know, I'm living in the house I grew up in and I'm just so lonely and it's so great that you're here. And then she's like, well, I do have to go. He's like, you're leaving me? 
you're leaving me. I should never have invited you. And then she goes, we, and then you see her walk off in the distance. All the way. All the way into the background (laughs) as a train passes by. Uh, She is then off to continue her transient lifestyle. But like, yeah, like Ben's saying, like all the way. Not only does she walk to the back of the frame, she then turns right and then explores (laughs) that half of the frame. (laughs) It's magical. And And that, dick is uh, that clingy dick is just standing on his porch like the great love of my life lost (laughs) this woman that is quiet so he is projected onto her so Mm -hmm. everything he thinks he feels about her he's just that lonely and i mean who among us are not doing that during quarantine but true (laughs) t very true whom among us core brain Something I, I thought was funny about that character is that he says that he's staying at the Hotel de Grand Homme, which mm-hmm. it's been a while since I took French, but I interpret it as Hotel of the Big Boys. Do we think that's a direct <laughs> translation that he's staying at know. the big that he's staying at the Big Boy Hotel? I don't know, but I hope that is what that is. He fancies himself a big boy. He does. He sure that does. That guy looks familiar. What is? What do I know him from? Anyone? Know? I don't know. I, I don't know. I could also easily look that up, but I'm not going to. Don't do it. Don't do it. Simply don't. Brandon, what live did, in what, the mystery. What? Brandon, what, what did you think of the coming out scene? Oh, it's my favorite scene. With the mom? Yeah. And she's talking about her lesbian lover lost. And then you hear the lesbian lover on the voicemail at the end. Uh-huh. No, and as she simply says, "Where are you? Where are you? Ah. And where are you?" Wow, I feel like that's gutting. I feel I wanted to talk about the coming out, but now that makes me I, makes me think about like obviously we understand that Anne's past is something that is the it is truly the past to her. She has left it behind. She is not that person anymore. She is trying to live her life, and the present to her it's like purgatorial. It sucks. Um, she's constantly being interrupted. She can't get a second to herself. There's that great shot on the train where she's smoking a cigarette in the dark and it's like finally some peace. It's like a nice mirror to the shot in John Dealman when she finally has nothing to do on the chair but is panic stricken. Yeah. And in this, Anne seems to be savoring it or at least appreciating it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that's her present. But then like, what, what happens next? What is her future? And it's hard not to assign autobiography to this movie because mm-hmm. Chantal Ackerman would have, fit, would, would have fit the description at, when right. she made this film, mm-hmm. filmmaker on a press tour. Um, and of course, like the parent-child relationship is so important in her work, but specifically her relationship with her mother, which is explored brilliantly in News From Home and beautifully and devastatingly and uh, No Home Movie. But obviously Ackerman committed suicide and had a real disdain for a lot of what was asked of her in the business. Mm-hmm. And just for, you know, this sounds uh, dismissive or like a character assassination, it's not, but just like, it seems like she had a tough time with humanity, like constantly mm-hmm. let down by it. And so it's hard to not read the end of this film as something like continue, like there's this continuing tragedy to unfold. Yeah, but I was thinking about it today, and I think maybe that's unfair because I'm putting Ackerman's life onto Anne. When actually, she, like I was saying, she may be stepping out of the closet, and perhaps the relationship with this woman is going to lead somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
I I would read the ending as your first read. That's how I, I read mean, it as at like, the time. As like she's she's listening to these messages like very passively and just letting she's probably going to continue to let just she seems pain life wash over yeah. and, and be yeah. Like even Ugh. she's now home but she can't do anything. She has to go straight to bed. Yeah. She's gotta and, wake and, up and do it all over again. Yeah, she's right yeah. back out the door. Okay. I'm just like trying to I, I, I didn't read any interviews or anything, so I don't know what Ackerman says about this film. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, the centerpiece of the film is the conversation with, the, with her mother mm-hmm. in the dark hotel room, which I think is profound on a number of levels. One being like, I just, there's like a simple human truth, I think, that it's easier to tell the truth and hear the truth in the dark. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think it's just the perfect setting for that moment of telling her mother I was with this woman one night. And yeah. it seems like it was the best night of her adult life, or certainly the night right. where she felt most herself and where she was able to engage in the moment rather than yep. disengage. Because the whole movie is her refusing, I mean, not refusing, but her disengaging because the presence is painful, right? Yeah. And, and and not her own. She, she's, she present doesn't seem to belong to her. It belongs to all these people who are stealing her time and her agent or whoever's putting on this press tour. But because that's the centerpiece of the film, may like I'm just like trying to make, like want something better for the character. Maybe like what stands out on the answering machine at the end is the message from that woman, like Ben was saying, mm-hmm. amidst these awful voicemails about, well, you're going to Brussels next, or you're going to, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to the you're going to Greece next or something. Um, I don't know, maybe everything worked out. <laughs> maybe she got hope. laid. Maybe she got laid. We can hope. Maybe she got laid. I think that is the best we can hope for, though. Right. No, I'm not right saying, now. I'm not saying companionship. I'm not saying. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying forever happiness. But maybe she got laid. Was maybe she. Else maybe she came out. Not sure at first that that was her mother picking her up at the station. Yeah, she seems young. She were you? Seem, she seemed. Were young. you very? Sure? I wasn't sure if maybe a lover was surprising her. And it took yeah. me a while to like realize just through context clues. Oh no, yes, that is her mother. Yeah, but... same. So I I did not have that issue, but when she meets with the family friend, I thought that was her mother. Mm. So I did I did still get to pay attention to pick up. There are that. a lot of, and I think it adds an interesting layer. Even if I was supposed to understand that that was her mother immediately, the fact that. Because when she sees her, like, there's a very slow smile that crawls across her face. And it's, like, it's kind of romantic. And I don't know what that means. And there's, like, what sort of edible uh, situation are we to read from that? I don't yeah. know. I, I, I think that's fascinating. And I think it's totally intentional. Like, we're supposed to yeah. grapple with that. I don't read the scene where Anne, Anna is naked. In, her mother calls her Anna. Mm-hmm. she's naked in bed with her mother in a hotel room when she's telling her mother about this lesbian experience. Yeah. I don't view that as erotic between mother and daughter, but I think you No, could. I didn't either. No, I just thought but that it was is comfort. She mm-hmm. does maternal. Yeah. It's a return to the womb, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because she was very vulnerable. She was literally vulnerable, nude, telling mm-hmm. this very vulnerable story to her mother yeah it's the like, sounds cafe like a lot of fun scene before that the cafe scene it feels like is she talking to someone that she's had sex with and then <laughs> and then you realize no that's her mother mm-hmm. kind of seems intentional all of that play it's 
she does not make you understand. Unlike the mummy, where the brother shows up and he's like, dear sister, right no, away. Oh my God, I clocked <laughs> that too immediately. <laughs> I was like, All right. as your brother. <laughs> we don't get that. Oh, mom, thank you for picking me up at the station. <laughs> it's like, she seems annoyed at first that her mom has interrupted her trip. Mm-hmm. But... And she seems annoyed that she has to wait two hours to get on the phone with her mom. But yeah. instantly she seems excited to see her. Mm. It seems yeah. they have a no, yeah. They have a good relationship. relationship. So maybe a distant she's re- nude. I think that the mother I think that it's she says it's been three years since she's seen her mother. And I think about obviously your parents have known you through your childhood. Mm-hmm. Your parents are still living. Um, so as a young adult they have seen these former iterations of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that the past three years for Anna have been profound in a character shift. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why it was so hard for her to see her mom, even though she was excited yeah. to see her and loves her mom and they seem to have a good relationship. I think that one of the reasons she confessed this uh, gay experience to her mom was to sort of force her mom to see her as she is now rather than this. Yeah past persona it's very easy to resent the people that know you in a certain way when you're trying to become a different person yes anyway i just thought it was great (laughs) so did i my airpods are not going to last oh are those what needed charging well no my laptop needed charging but now these will need charging so We'll You're losing the, the juice. Well, I guess we'll yep. just record part two next week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See, don't y'all you, don't you have don't you have these lying around? Yes, I do. I'll go grab them. Um, but yeah, meeting Savannah. Yeah, Brandon. I'm so glad you suggested that film. Well, I'm glad I thought of it too. It was a major blind spot, and especially for such a Jean Dielman centered podcast. Right. What could, I mean, what what could be better? It. What could be better than Jean Dielman 2? Jean Dielman 2. Electric. Yeah. Uh, Back in the saddle. <laughs> oh my God, that's it. I was trying to think of like some sort of travelogue journey. Back in the saddle. Jean Dielman 2. Back in the saddle. I'm trying so hard not to talk about feminism with this movie because, like, again, what's worse than like a white gay cis man talking about feminism? Um, mm. But when you think about like the road movie and you compare this to something like On the Road, Mm-hmm. which uh, the male characters are very much the kings of that road. Like they are able mm-hmm. to determine what is going to happen to them. Like they, they claim to be throwing themselves like up to the whims of the world. Like we're going to go mm-hmm. see everything, but they're still determining everything that's happening to them. Sure. And I just think Ackerman is so smart to show that like Anna doesn't have that experience. Like when she's on the road, she's constantly having people get in her way, telling her what she's going to do. Like that great shot of her walking down the train car and that man is like touching her and like she can't get through. Oh, yeah. like, she can't mm-hmm. she can't even go where she wants to go. Mm-hmm. Just to yeah. go crack a window to smoke instead. And then that man is like, How you doing? <laughs> but you have to. He what seems are like you doing? He seems like one of the nicer guys. Yeah. He was he was the least intrusive, but still intrusive. Anyway, a great film about the terror of obligation. Really? <laughs> that's actually, yeah, that's a good point. Mm. It's now available on? on Criterion oh. Channel. Stream it on Criterion Channel now. 
Well, yeah. I think that's Rendezvous Dana. The next thing that we are going to discuss this evening is A Matter of Life and Death, the 1946, maybe, picture. Something like that. Somewhere around there. Uh, From Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Um, It's about a man in the British Air Force in World War II, he's going down, he's talking to Air Command or whatever, and he, they very quickly fall in love with the woman who's very quickly. Very an Ameri- quickly. And a, and a Yankee, if I may add. That's right, she's a Yankee. And I, I mean, she, he tells her he's, that she's life and he's about to die, so that's why he loves her. It, it makes perfect logical sense to me that you would fall in love with the person that you're talking to as you die. So he, he's going down. He knows he's going to die because he doesn't have a parachute, but he lives. And then some, a, a Frenchman. <laughs> it's, it's very silly to talk about. It's a very whimsical film. The whimsy. The whimsy in this film. I dropped uh, my amethyst, by the way, so I'm looking for oh my rock man. while you're while you're talking. Were you rubbing <laughs> it betwixt your fingers for good luck? I I legitimately was. Wonderful. Wait, what does it do to you? Um, I don't know. Bounty. Good luck. Hey. It's, pur- it's purple. I like purple. I want to get one of those candles that gives me money. Ben, I did not mean. <laughs> ben, please continue. I'm so sorry for um, the tomfoolery. A Frenchman comes down and he's like, you were supposed to die. I got lost in the fog. It's my job to take you to the afterlife. And then uh, uh, David Niven, the lead, is like, no, I would like to stay. He found the rock. Found the rock. Uh, he said, no, I'd rather be alive. Thank you, though. I would like to stay with the woman I follow. I'm love good. With. I'm getting laid. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So then he has to go to trial in the heavens uh meanwhile on earth he is being treated for psychiatric care (laughs) it's it is never literally slice into his head yes lobotomy goals gotta say uh it's never actually stated if if it's heaven or not in fact you could be led to believe in the end that it was truly heaven but if you would like to believe that it was just his concussion brain, then you well, can choose that the be- if you wish. The beginning of the film has a little, uh, it has a, like a Star Wars a scroll. scroll. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it the Star Wars scroll is actually, it's actually a matter of life and death scroll. But yes, it says that this exists in his imagination, which do you think they said that more to not offend the Christians? I think that, yeah, that's... Yeah, that probably... Because the film was trying to like, trying to bring Yankees and Brits together, right? Yeah. World War Two, mm-hmm. and so you know it's going to reach an audience that has an opinion on Jesus, and it's a good one. Yes. <laughs> so they don't want to they don't want to blaspheme by no. showing this beautifully like Art Deco like modernist uh, balcony driven heaven. It is the most gorgeous production design of any movie ever made, I think. The shot in the beginning of the film when they're, uh, the two folks are looking down through that hole oh, in yeah. the ceiling, uh-huh. it looks like Tarkovsky. Yeah, I think it's just a painting. I, 
I don't know. Uh, I don't, I think that most of it is matte, but yeah. I feel like I saw a production still of the camera beneath the two people mm-hmm. looking through the oh, hole. Maybe. I, think it's, I think it's a composite. I think it's a matte. Yeah, yeah. But like, the staircase, the, the escalator, staircase. which is one of the most evocative special effects oh, I've ever seen in my life. I Heads up, loved that. Matter of life and death. Thank you so much, Ben, for recommending this. Like, this is an yeah, all-timer. Sir, it's literally this one is, of the best movies timer. ever, right? Yes. I mean, it's, but the, it, it, it ruined it. Wow. The escalator is practical. Have you guys seen behind the scenes stills? Is it really? No, but I, it looks practical. They built a giant fucking escalator. Yeah. That's amazing. And, there, and, and there's like amazing. a matte painting of space behind. Right, yeah. It's insane the, how just magnificent this movie is. Everything and the, about the, it. the way it moves from black and white to te- technicolor. And when the Frenchman mm-hmm. goes, no, we don't have technicolor up in uh, non-heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the jokes about him being beheaded in the French Revolution. <laughs> Ooh, you, should, you should see my operation. <laughs> oh, and when I people, lost my head over that one. <laughs> when, the people, when the people have to play Frozen, yes. and you can see the female lead, like, trembling. <laughs> Jittering a little. She's, she's oh, and then, did you, see, did you see, like, the little visual effect eye to keep her eye open so she could no. really blink? <laughs> I thought no. you were gonna say her eye twitch. I'm like, yeah, that's like me and my southern family's thing. So the the scene toward oh. the end where like she's frozen in frame and they're having a conversation like yeah. over her and she has uh-huh. to just like stay. She just still. has to stay there. She has it like you can see her eyes like a little bit fake, probably so she could freely blink during that like so five minutes. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> what anyway, so it's great. I watched it like a month ago, and then I just rewatched it right before we played. Played. We recorded this. Um, it, is, it is. Oh, you're fresh. Playing. It's a game. Yes, I just watched it. In when they're playing ping pong and they freeze. That's so good. Um, and David Niven <sighs> walks in front of them. The ball is suspended in midair, and it looks like he might just be walking in front of a photo because I, the way that the ball is blurred suspended right. in midair it doesn't look like it's just a ball hanging from a string got no. it very interesting i mean I also please uh, well someone's log a five-star log don't worry was like this is a movie <laughs> triggered that um it's not just how did they do that then it would be the same thing like how did they do that no matter what time like yeah if this was done now it would be impressive i think mm-hmm. that um like, I don't know the details of the restoration, but yeah. I doubt that they re- I mean, I know that they did not redo the special effects. You would right. think that sort of a worn down print of this movie would be kind to it. And that we're talking about special effects from 1942 or whatever, um, mm-hmm. whatever the year is. You would think that like the grain getting blurry would only help the illusion, would help you sustain your disbelief. Yeah. But the restoration is beautiful. It's crystal clear. Mm-hmm. And the visual effects are immaculate. Um, yeah. I think they're stunning. I mean, and it's the, like, please. Just the attention to detail in all of, I watched seven Powell and Pressburger movies during quarantine. I started with Black Narcissist, which I'd seen many times and was just like, I'm going to watch them all. Shorts uh, IMO. And uh, what's that guy's name? Shorts Maybe. IMO. His name is just Shorts. His name is Shorts IMO. Okay, fair. Um, 
but I didn't know. Uh, well, I lost my train of thought. It's okay. I started with Black Narcissus, and then I was like, I'm gonna watch these ones, and all of them, the just. I don't know, there's nothing that is unthought of, like at the script level, at the direction level, the camera's always in the right place, the camera's always picking up details that are really interesting. Um, hold on, I'm gonna switch my headphones out real quick. Okay. These die. Um, but and, then, and, and then don't die, and then return to life and get laid, right? Right? Yes. Right? Daniel, like yes. like David Niven? Well, yes. I'm switching to the right headphones. Okay, so I was saying that for a bit and I wasn't getting a reaction. So that's why I kept going, Brandon. Oh. Well, I just kept reaffirming you. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. I did not switch my headphones. I don't know if it'll work. I think we'll just have to end the podcast when my headphones die. We'll give it a shot. <laughs> Why did someone um, slip mail in my door instead of just put it in my mailbox? Be glad because um, some of my mail has disappeared during quarantine. Oh, no. A yeah. poor scandal. Frustrating. I got oh, but when At the very beginning of this movie, when you see the, the plane in the condition it's in, and it's just like a pile of shit. It just, mm-hmm. it just like looks amazing. It's yeah, a pile that, of shit on yeah. fire. No, yes. that, that first In orange Technicolor. Yes, that's the moment I was like, okay, this movie's something very, very special. Like yes. the second you see him in that burning carcass mm-hmm. of a plane, I was like, and okay. then Kim Hunter is in the tower, and there's like red and blue light flashing oh. in on her. It's unbelievable. Just, it's, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever it's seen. It's very like psychedelic in a way there I agree, I agree completely they're like weird fades and like fog rolling in and there's I the, mean, the, are Powell and Pressburger not the magic of the movies distilled they are like no one I, I've seen what three of their films only three okay. I've only seen three um but like I, I until seeing matter of life and death I might be hard-pressed to think of a more magical movie than the red shoes yeah just in terms of what they're doing with color what they're doing with can with the camera movement what they're doing with sound and the way that they're building this ecstatic reality right yeah and i think that psychedelic is the right word for it because it's so color forward mm-hmm. and the palette they're drawing from is so exaggerated mm-hmm. um i think that in that opening scene when the plane is going down it's sort of like what you see before you die like in, in, yeah. an idea, in an idealized form mm-hmm. um, in terms of all just the, the crazy colors. But obviously those colors continue as the movie moves away from death. But mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's in a, they, they use the colors on their palette in a different way while still exaggerating them in just this hallucinatory glow. Like yeah. the way that I read it, I can think about a scene where David Niven is playing chess and in the mm-hmm. background, there's just a roaring fire, but it is the yeah. most incandescent, like luminous orange mm-hmm. and yellow and red you've ever seen in your life. And it's just like in the background of the shot. It's not yeah. even the focus of the frame. And to me, it's not so much that these are the last things he's seeing before he's dying anymore. It's what, how you see the world when you have a new lease on life. Yes. Like everything I is, that's it. you know what I mean? Like everything yeah. is, 
you 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 appreciate every detail. Everything seems mm -hmm. epic. Everything seems right. beautiful. That's why heaven is black and white because it's boring. Exactly. Boring as fuck. You have to go be a clerk <laughs> in the in the file. <laughs> ben, it made me think of um, defending your life. Maybe because I just watched. Oh yeah, that. yeah. I love defending your life. He literally has to defend his life. Yeah, I'm sure a matter of life and death is the inspiration for defending your life. It's got to yeah. be. Yeah. 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 I mean, even for the sure. title's kind of like the same. Yeah. And we're talking about like the technical things, but it's also just very moving as a love story. When we get to the ending and the heaven people come down to the surgery room on, on the, the escalator, on the escalator, the one judge with his wig uh overseeing everything and asking the angry Evan, the angry american the and defense, yes. or the uh the prosecutor and he's like do you love her and he's like well i think so but i need more time to find out 50 years will do that just like really makes me emotional because it's just like thrown off but he wants 50 years to live with her and that's very beautiful mm -hmm. And when the American asks, well, would you die for her? And he's like, yes, but I would prefer to live. It's just very simple, but it's so romantic. It's heterosexual excellence. It's it a is. rare instance of heterosexual, like a movie leading up to heterosexual coupling. Mm -hmm. Being justified and not just justified, but exciting and mm -hmm. life affirming. Mm -hmm. And that love is the most powerful thing on earth. Law may, be, may rule the heavens, but love rules earth. Uh, and that's why Kim Hunter doesn't go up the escalator. Didn't you love the moment? This is a, uh, I'm sorry, I apologize for the segue, but didn't you love the moment when David Niven said he was 27 years old? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, like, that's like, it's not even, I, I don't think it's an issue with the movie, but the age difference between the two, like that sort of links yeah. this and Cactus Flower in a way. Mm. But I was like, in Cactus Flower, I really do think it's a problem. But yeah. in this, I think that Niven and Hunter are giving such beautiful performances. Not not yeah. that Walter Matthau and Goldie Hawn aren't, because Cactus Flower is nothing but immaculately acted across the board. Yeah. But I totally buy it. And um, I was so when, uh, it was a It was like going to sleep and having a dream. It is. Yeah. And I think we can... It's interesting with... Uh, I believe Brandon quoted in his log the last lines of the movie are uh, like, darling, we won. And she says, I know. Does she know because he survived the surgery? Or does she know because she got on that staircase? She did it. She did that. She did it. She, she did that. She saved him by choosing to die for him. And then she didn't have to. Um, oh, when they, at the beginning, the... The Frenchman says she lives to be 97. And uh, based on Kim Hunter's birth year, that means she would this character would have died in 2019. Wow. Wow. Think about that. Wow. Whew. She would have still, she would have been, he would have been up there waiting for her until mm -hmm. quarantine time. Part of oh, me, no. part of me was waiting for the heaven folks. I don't remember who says it specifically, but be like, mm -hmm. your time will come and it's coming in five minutes. Uh, like I, part of me was expecting him to die under the knife mm -hmm. because that also 
is beautiful, but the fact that it yeah. then just goes back around to love being the most important force on Earth. Yeah. So, it's so lovely. And then they give him a generous amount of time on Earth. We don't hear what it is, but he says it's so generous. That'll work for me, Chief. And then one person's <laughs> like, isn't that a bit much? That's a lot. That's the prosecution. That guy is a real stick in the mud. He is. He's from that Boston, is, 1775. A Trump voter, if I may say. Yeah. America firster. I he said really it. Was. An old Trumper. He's like, these English with their waltzes and their music and their, their tea and their taxes. And he really does do that. <laughs> he doesn't care for the British colony. Or not the British colony, the British Isles. By the way, though, um, I love that this movie investigates British colonialism. It does. And, and in a way saying that like America and Britain are equally terrible. Yes. And one and one element of that is their imperialist bent. Mm-hmm. It's a the very fact, it made me rethink the uh the racist elements of black narcissists. Yes, and they're there. Like the colonialism. Because well, there's there is the actual brown face, which there is no excuse for. Mm-hmm. But the I think we are less supposed to be on the side of quote unquote like educating the savages in black narcissists than I previously thought. Well I think that that checks out again I can't overlook some of the uh, depiction. Yeah. It's a case I'm not saying it's endorsement but it is still the way they chose to bring to life the locals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that the the uh, nunnery like the the the, uh, mission um, essentially like goes down in flames. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we're supposed to feel all that bad. Yeah. I, I mean, like it feels like an eradication yeah. of an invasion, right? Yes, I think that's right. More than I would have thought before. It was, I think we are more on their side than before, but they're still like ignorant white men making the movie. Yes. Like, they're, it's an interesting uh juxtaposition those two things yeah and i i think that yeah i i i I don't think you can sweep it under the rug even though it's a ravishing movie like maybe my maybe my favorite technicolor frame in anything is in the attic Mm -hmm. at uh with the moonlight and black narcissus Mm -hmm. the blue moonlight with the nun who's about to Mm -hmm. go crazy yeah um before her eyes become red just the like the um, sort of the sheerness of the fabrics in the mm-hmm. room and mm-hmm. just the blue glow over everything. It's just, yep. like I said, pa- Powell and Pressburger understand the idea of like film as hallucination, film as a waking dream. Yeah. It's like y'all ever arch, you know? Mm-hmm. Y'all ever arch the truth? Yeah. Why is it but- matter of night, life or death not on Criterion? Black Narcissus is. I don't know. It, and is it red on, shoes on there too? It's on life Criterion. Life and death of- blu-ray but it's just yes. not on the channel life and right. death of colonel blimp is on criterion channel and that's also on my quarantine wish list mm-hmm. so i'll be getting to that soon enough good movie very, it's a very long movie and it is you know i love a i love a tony erdman i love a john dealman mm-hmm. but it's a very long film and i think i'm softer than saturday most people are too but well ben i'll have to be honest with you i was prioritizing it and then i looked at your power powell and pressburger rankings and i was like I was expecting the greatest movie I've ever seen. And then many, many people basically feel like it was fifth even. Wow. Many Does people that speak think to the strength of the catalog? 
no. It is, I would give, if I was giving it a star rating, it would be three and a half. Wow. Mm-hmm. Which will well, offend some listeners. I hope I love They are it. fans of the, the catalog. Um, I do think that A Matter of Life and Death finally convinced me that David Niven was sexy. He is sexy. I've, I've never felt that way. He's got some sexy curls in this movie. I he thought does. you were going to say some, some sexy calves. So I was like, he was wearing, mm. he was wearing slacks, but <laughs> you could see them, I guess. He was wearing pantaloons. The calves, the pantaloons. Pantaloons. Mm. I'm going to watch Aeronauts during Quar. Oh, what a <laughs> film. I'd oh, you and forget. I would be like a couple oh, I of Aeronauts. You watched it then. I watched it. Is Daniel's version of the script better? Yes. <laughs> Except with way more gravity than when we started uh, out. Oh, you and I what? will be like a couple of aeronauts. A crazy movie. I watched it in bed one night. I'm going to watch what, it. I have the what screener. A choice and it's I on made. Amazon Prime. Oh, sir, you it tell is. me I can't fly in the skies, but <laughs> my waistcoat was built with wings. <laughs> I don't know. There are some literal lines of like that, that tone <laughs> in the movie. Daniel did ghostwrite the script. I did ghostwrite it. Shall oh, we move on? Oh, sir, you tell me I can't Let read us a mosey. <laughs> to the cactus flower. Cactus Her flower. Cactus literally flowers at the end. So I, I, I went flowers. on a walk. What I went a on a walk right before we got on this um, hashtag Zoom call. Dang, I passed a few see? cactus flowers. Oh my god. How beautiful. They were in bloom by Troy Savon. They bloomed. I love that. Mm. I love the bloom. Well. Brandon, why don't you tell us what the movie's about? Academy Award winning debut role. Is it her debut? She was in well, she had a, she she had another film that year. Um oh, she was on laughing already. She she That's was sort right. of like the, the one before the quote unquote ditzy blonde on TV, right? Um, Cactus Flower is about Goldie Hawn who's dating Walter Matthau. Matt, how do you, someone say it for me? Matthau, Matthau, Walter Matthau, and he has for some reason been lying to her <laughs> and <laughs> like why he's like I'm married and I have three kids. <laughs> Like, that's just a lie he decided to tell Goldie. So that she doesn't want to marry him. Oh, that's He's right. a confirmed bachelor. He has that's confirmed right. bachelor right. He's status. like, I don't want any strings here. And then Igor comes <laughs> through the window and he's like, I'm Jimmy Stewart. And then Goldie Hawn <laughs> says, what's the plot? I haven't watched this in over a month. And that then Ingrid Bergman plays the Walter, dental hygienist. The dental hygienist to Walter Matthau. She she schedules the appointments of the dentist office of Walter Matthau. The long suffering secretary. The long suffering receptionist is the the long suffering administrative assistant. Is <laughs> I want to hear Heidi in closet say long suffering in love. Assistant. With Walter, 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 Walter <laughs> and Goldie Hawn says, "Not in my book." <laughs> Someone... Goldie Hawn wants to meet the wife. <laughs> Here, I'll give you a capsule. Not in my book. 
Not in my and green book. And then they go to a record store. <laughs> and they dance. Give me the whole plot. Give me the whole plot. It was The movie came out in 1969. It was she... a groovy time. <laughs> it really is a groovy time. It's movie. so groovy. That restaurant they go to and they're just mm. like, woo! It's so I am. Yeah. Hip to its groove, I have to say. It, it is. I so am down hip. in its dirt, girl. They I am, are grooving to the beat half the I time. I am. I am feeling its flower power. All right. Mm-hmm. So Walter Matthau says to Ingrid Bergman, "You got to play my wife." And Goldie <laughs> Hawn says, "Not in my, <laughs> not, my <book."> not in my book." <laughs> and then Goldie Hawn inadvertently <laughs> tries to get them back together. <laughs> Who ends up together? Doesn't Goldie it, and it ends up, Igor? Yeah. Not in my book. Halfway <laughs> Let me just the say, movie, I was like, oh, this movie is going to end up being very conservative where the people yeah. that are age appropriate for each other end up matching. Not in happens. my book. I wanted Ingrid Bergman to end up with the Igor. Yeah, she that was hot. The best night of her life, they drank gin and tequila all night and they went to Coney Island. They went to an orgy. Feelings. Yeah. Their she date. Was like, Amazing. She's like, I, uh, I, I have not slept tonight, doctor, and I am uh, feeling my oats, and I am here, <laughs> and I show up to work. I am a professional, but I had the night of my life. You really do a good Ingrid Bergman. Thank you. Well, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. <laughs> um, that's Cactus Flower. Thank you. Uh, I really made so your day. Fun. I it don't really know just if I think Goldie is a good fun. actor, but she has charm. She has personality. She has impeccable time. guys. Her eyes. Yeah, and I, and, but I want to say but, that but she's, a, she's a star. It is yeah, insane and, and that Bergman didn't actress, get any. How the fuck? Not in my book. How did she not get a nomination at least? I mean, I know she, it's really interesting. She turns into the star of the movie. I mean, Goldie, but still. Entirely overlooked by the Academy. Did I lose you? We can hear yeah, you fine. Re- repeat your point. Hello. I think your audio is fine without the headphones, Ben. It's fine. Um, if the movie had entirely been ignored by the Academy, but it specifically singled out Goldie Hawn as, we're going to give her an Oscar for this. Yeah. yeah. But it's wild because, and by the way, I agree with everything you said about her strengths as an actor. And I would say that makes her a strong actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her timing is impeccable. I also think she knows how to throw away a line and yeah. when mm-hmm. to really needle it. Yes. Um, I actually don't remember what I was going to say, but I do feel that way, what I just said. I don't remember what else I was going to say, but sorry to, sorry to derail, but she's I very good. She's very good in the film. Wanted Igor shirtless in a towel the whole movie. Yeah. How great. So. Me too. It's a hot film. It's a hot movie. It's a sex farce skull romp. So I, and I'm curious to hear and Ben's I gotta thought. call it groovy. Girl, a groovy time is had by all. It's just a groovy movie. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, down to the uh, the flower power psychedelic magic eye poster on the wall, mm. the flower power decals all over the water heater. Yep. Jimmy Stewart with his top off. It made me it's miss a-, a New York that I never lived in because that New York doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. It, well, I think it's that's a good uh, segue because I want to talk about th- where this film lands between the American new wave and the collapse of the studio system, mm-hmm. 1969. 
the fact that this film is written by the dude I.L. Diamond who co-wrote yes. the, the Apartment it's and a- Ben wrote a bunch of other scripts of the era. Like, uh, he didn't write some Like It Hot, did he? Yeah, he did. And he wrote yeah. uh, One, Two, Three. Yes, One, Two, Three. Um, so you consider that this is a guy who really represents the old school sex comedy in a way. Mm-hmm. And how there's this culture clash between that formula and, and by the way, and a very intentional culture clash. And as, even though it's in New York, the hate Ashbury, the yeah. idea of the boomer, like the, the flower power boomers. <laughs> Those and, boomers. And I, and I don't think it totally works. No. But I think that it is a classic because it is attempting to meld the two moments together in that way. Like I was thinking about Midnight Cowboy as I was watching it, which to me is such an authentic movie from 1969 and John Schlesinger Hive Rise Up. Um, John Voight and Anaconda Hive Rise Up. Mm. Dustin Hoffman as a dirty homosexual rise up. But uh, <laughs> almost getting hit by a car. <laughs> as someone who has been hit by a car. Oh. Rise rise up. Oh God. Um, but <laughs> this movie is like the reactionary trying to do that, but it's a very conservative movie in the end. That's what's so fascinating about it, though. Yeah. Like, it, it is a caricature of, of the moment. It is an old guy trying to write the young world as he sees it. Yeah. But I just find that a fascinating alchemy. Yeah. And that's why I think the Goldie character and the Igor character are both much less fleshed out than Ingrid and Walter Matthau. Yeah. There's a lot less depth there. I mean, the depth of his pecs are pretty well-defined, I have to say. I mean, all I needed Igor to be was hot. And then you find out after his incredible night with Ingrid Bergman that he also can talk about life all night with with a woman who, you know, I have been married before and I am living in Jackson Heights and I've seen some shit. And this, this, (laughs) this young man speaks my language and it was the best night of my life. Like, I respect Igor so much more after we hear about his night with Ingrid Bergman. Oh yeah. It was nominated for a WGA award for best writing because- Really? He's a, it was probably just because he's IA. He's a legend. Yeah, he's a legend. You know? I just like, the joy that this movie brought me on the dance floor with Ingrid Bergman doing all, doing- That scene? Cutting a motherfucking rug in the slipped disc. I like that is cinema as spectacle. That is cinema as gesture. Like I had my hand over my mouth. I was squealing. It's so good. It brought me so much joy. Ingrid was truly having the time of her life making this movie. And it's like having fun. And but the thing about her performance is the first act. She's not just having fun. Like, and, and she's, she's totally transcending the old maid archetype that she's been saddled with. Uh-huh. I, I just love the detail when she goes up for drinks with Walter Matthau, how like she seems both embarrassed and proud of her lifestyle at the same time. Mm-hmm. And her body language and the way she can't seem to make eye contact with him signals that. Yeah. There's like real sadness, but also pride in that moment. Right. Uh-huh. And then for her to just go full on, 
I mean, this movie is Ingrid Bergman stopped making sense at a she certain point. She uses life like in The Matter of Life and Death. And not like in The Meetings of Anna, unless you're reading well, it optimistically. Okay. Well, well. I, think Bergman, I think Ingrid Bergman is my favorite actress of the period. Yeah, I mean, she is... I wouldn't, but not of 1969. Not like, not of 69. Um, But I think she's, I think she's my, I think she's my favorite. Yeah. I mean, there's little, she's one of those people that has just never given a false note on camera. There's Mm -hmm. something so real about everything she does. Have we all seen Autumn Sonata? No. I have it on my list. Okay, please, I beg you, watch Autumn Sonata quickly. Then, especially because you just watched this. To watch, like, quote-unquote, later Ingrid. I mean... Yeah, the only Ingrid I've seen before is Murder on the Orient Express, which she won an Oscar for. And is there a reason why I'm gonna watch that movie at some point? I don't remember it, and I didn't like it when I saw it. But I want to see her in it. Yeah. I I think that Autumn Sonata is her best performance. Mm -hmm of the maybe seven or eight I've seen. Like, th- this is why I want to dig into Stromboli and Europa 51, because yeah. I know there's like a significant piece of the filmography I'm missing in my head. But talk about, I mean, I guess I don't want to say too much. I don't want to color your expectations, but um, just flawless. I-, I won't say anything at all. But like, she, she is, it is a barn burner of a performance in Autumn Sonata, just like in this film. And I don't, I like, I don't, when I think of Ingrid Bergman in the 40s, I don't, in the 50s, I don't think of Barn Burner. I don't think of Scene Stealer. I think of someone who is doing the work and doing it so authentically yeah. and with so much real feeling that you can't help but get inside that woman's head and ache along with her. But Cactus Flower and Autumn Sonata are broad by comparison. Yeah. And yet you realize, like, this is no criticism of her performances in the uh, in the 40s and 50s, especially like in the Hitchcock movies. But you realize like when you, when, 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 you, when you take an actor who is so good at, so good with restraint, like I think in yeah. Casablanca, how cagey that performance is intentionally, it's part of the character. Yeah. But the, the shell is ripped off. Like she is fully boundless in yeah. Cactus Flower and Autumn Sonata. And it's just thrilling to watch her walk away with the movie. Yeah, that is exciting. Highly recommend. Ingrid Unleashed. Ingrid yes. Unleashed. That's what the movie should have been called. Yes. I yes. guess like my only real issue with Cactus Flower is those conservative politics. Yeah. Or are those conservative politics? Um, yeah. I really, I can't stand the coupling at the end. Like as we were saying, like it's really that like Goldie Hawn does not need to be with a man. Walter right. Matthau does not deserve a partner. Mm-hmm. And then Igor and Ingrid get to go to Coney Island to drink tequila till they black out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It can serve, yeah, it, the, the heterosexual pairing at the end is not good, like but, the heterosexual pairing at the end of our other film. No, it's not. And that is, like, classical sex farce. All of the couples come together at the end. It's a Midsummer Night's Dream and all those. Yep. But, Wait, and it's like, we're, we're not going to renounce everything that's happened, but we've come to our senses. Right. But it's... Why, like, they don't really give reason for Igor and Tony, is, I think Tony is her name, Tony. Yeah. to be in love. Like, I, be- I do believe Walter Matthau and Ingrid Bergman, 
And it's very clear from the very beginning that she's in love with him. Mm-hmm. She could do but better. Not my she book. She can do better. Uh, but it's just like, okay, Tony and Igor are going to fuck now. And that's good. <laughs> yeah. Which is fun, which is nice. And I'm happy for her. Yeah. Happy this for movie. Her. It is so well paced, though. At an hour 40, like, mm-hmm. I just had the time of my life. It, yeah. it flew by. It was just yeah. a it breezy. A nice breezy sex farce. Oh. oh no, Ben, we lost you. Ben, you were muted for some Hello. reason. Am I here now? Yeah, yes. say it again. You were here, you were in my book. I have my AirPod case in my hand and I'm toying with it, so it thinks it's trying to connect. It's my own fault. I need a rock wow. to like fiddle with. The amethyst. And drop. Mm-hmm. Here's, uh, my cor- here's my quartz too. Oh, so many rocks. What is what does that look like? Uncut gems over here. You got your uncut gems. Oh, that I had my my third and fourth glass of wine while watching it. It was just great, and then I had a headache when I woke up today. Sad. Well, we must all come to our senses at some point. the The fun must end. We must go to work. Mm. In the tradition of the conservative sex farce. Are we done? In studio system. We've been talking for two hours. I feel like we've done it. Yeah. What a fun fun collection of films to discuss. Yeah, I think They they kind of all thematically in a a loose way. They do. Match. Not match, but but there's a, there's a, what's the, what's the theme? Life. 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 (laughs) The theme is life. Life unleashed. I do think there's something though about connection in the films. Connection in, in all in all three of them. It, yeah, and, I love this episode. Just be life colon unleashed. <laughs> oh shit! We have to name it. No, it's it's corn core brain. Live <laughs> live from core brain. Live from <laughs> live exclamation point from core brain. Yeah. Great. Done. Uh, well, we're probably not going to do another one of these, but. Well, well we're going to be in lockdown until October. This was so, so fun. I, I mean, still in quarantine for New Year's 2022. We'll do another one. We'll do another one. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we said definitively the last two episodes were the last episodes. We did. So but the, we did not know. expect a pandemic. No, no. We could not predict this. And we did and not feel like we needed a podcast to see each other. <laughs> this this like just to get very uh, Kim Dickens very meta about it. Um, it. It feels so fucking weird to like be doing quote unquote movies IMO right now because like that's not where my brain has been yeah. for the past seven eight weeks however long it's been. Like I I wonder if anyone listening to this will like pick up on on my opinion how it took us a minute to like figure out what we were doing here. Mm-hmm. Well, the first forty minutes was just us having a happy hour. Well. We haven't truly with the, caught with up. With the mic on. Plus, Actually, we, no, uh, we haven't caught the up. The technology right. is strange. Yeah, we text all day, every day, but we that haven't really true. caught up. No, not with our human. Did you, see what, yeah. did you see what TJ made? He made a homemade buffalo chicken bites and homemade buffalo sauce oh. in a Dutch Oh, oven. my God. Uh, Goodness. As we, as we leave movies, IMO and go back to movie club chat. Yes. Feed me. Yeah. I hope that, I mean, I hope that anyone listening to this got something out of it this has been nice for me to disengage from the horror of this moment and like we haven't even talked about nor do i really want to talk about what's happening with film comment for instance like film culture is really dying right now Mm -hmm. um and i hope that this i hope that this 
gave any signal at all that it is still alive in our own private conversations and our own personal passions. I think we each said at least one thing that was worthwhile. <laughs> I think that's right on. I think that's right so, on. I think we are good on our obligation to our listeners to <laughs> film to the cinema gods. We've we've said some things tonight. Some that we'll regret and some that we won't. <laughs> Um, I regret everything. <laughs> Not in my book. Not in Not my in book. book. <laughs> How did we come up with like our best catchphrase on the last episode of the podcast? <laughs> Not in my book. Not in my book. <laughs> Never say last. There's uh, something very like Fred Willard about that. Like, really? Not in my book. <sighs> our podcast should be called Never Say Never Again. <laughs> the off-brand James Bond. Bond. <laughs> oh Lord! I love the off-brand James Bonds. I I never saw Casino Royale. Not not the Craig, the, the but original. the uh, the Peter Sellers, right? Yeah, that is a that is a fucking massive movie. I just watched it for the first time because I thought we were gonna have a new James Bond, and I was gonna rank all nope. of the James Bonds. I watched Tomorrow Never Dies in preparation and decided, you know what? I don't need to relive some of these movies. They're uh, better in my head. I got, I got a little into the Roger Moores and then the word came down, James Bond is moving dates. And then I was like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I want Roger less of that, please. Uh, I, um, right. The Roger Moore movies are interesting in that, I know we're wrapping up, but they're, they're bad. I mean, they're definitively bad movies. And they're fun. No one's going to say like, and they're often problematic. Mm -hmm. They're often overlong, but Mm -hmm. there's something so like zippy and stupid about them that is engaging. Yes, like I'm not bored when I watch them. Whereas one, one or two of the John Connerys, I wasn't that. Maybe maybe take a little nap. But I mean, I love that in the Roger Moore verse. I should say like in the Connery verse, it's like we are going to have a series of Cold War Russian villains who are all furthering the stake of an evil empire. Like, yeah. we're going to have some geopolitical tension to it. Yeah. And then in the more movies, they're like, our villain has a third nipple. What do you think, <laughs> what do you yes. think about that? They are very fun and silly, and I love that. We're going to put James Bond in an alligator costume. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, View to a Kill is so bad, but no movie can truly be terrible or irredeemable when you have Grace Jones and Christopher Walken as the villains. Yeah, I've never seen that one, and I will. If Assuming we get to see the new James Bond ever, I will continue my watch and get to the end. Let me know your thoughts on Tomorrow Never Dies, because it's like a great exercise, and like, give a James Bond villain one redeeming characteristic challenge. Mm. Like, Everything that Jonathan Price does in that movie is just dastardly and stomach-turning and evil. In Tomorrow Never Dies. I was making a joke. In The Wife. Oh, in his... He's hmm? dastardly. Oh, in The the Wife. He basically... The Wife is the sequel to Tomorrow Never Dies. That's what I'm trying to say. I couldn't understand. Without the AirPods. Lots of of jokes are being lost in translation via... The tube. <laughs> the, the boob tube, which is what I like to call Zoom. 
<laughs> well, have you guys heard that like people are crashing Zooms to like do nudity? Yes. <laughs> Zoom, Zoom bombing. Zoom I think, bombing. Careful. I think it's tasteless. I think someone should have Zoom bombed us as a fun. Ours is matter farmer. Ours is locked with security. Oh, Jean Dealman. That's, what, that's why us. you had to enter a holding cell before mm. being mm. released into the room. <laughs> Would be great though if like Jean Dealman unfriended us, which is what I already said. But like she pops oh. in, she's like, "I'm just peeling my potato." Wait a minute, just peeling a minute. my potato. Oh my god! Mm. Wait, some we have to Photoshop that. Ben, <laughs> oh well, we ben, will. Ben, I need your box to move over somehow. It's and not then, gonna happen. You're, you're, Brandon, you're gonna have to in Photoshop like crop out Ben's, um, like crop out Ben, and then save. If Ben is on the bottom, like he is for me right I here, I just need to slide Ben over and then. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And over and then exactly, <laughs> crop it, move it over, duplicate it, and then put Jean Dealman to the exact same dimensions. I can do that. Yeah. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take another screenshot just in case. Oh, I'm gonna twit out our image. Photo of us doing recording. I'm gonna eat French fries and watch normal fucking. Oh, nice. Oh, great. We need to normalize people fucking. Is what that show should be called. I agree. Yes. So that straight white film critics don't have to <laughs> spend paragraphs. I'm looking over my shoulder because mommy's watching me. The people do the dirty thing. He's putting his Mommy. bad card in her bad place. Makes me uncomfortable. Like, okay. okay, girl. Like Mommy's watching me. I think it's you humiliating mean- for the actors. I think that's what Richard Brody said once. Uh, I anyway. No, I have no further comment. Not in my Anyway, blog. this has been Movie Dymo. Allegedly. I am Ben Empey. I'm Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. Um, next week we'll be dead. You can follow us. <laughs> you, you, you can follow us on at Movies IMO or oh yeah, even, we have it, since we've gone off the air, we have an Instagram, a Facebook, and none only of which fans. none of which is active except for the OnlyFans. No. Mm. The only I don't fans know why. Is, I, look, I don't know why I'm saying we haven't actually seen each other since core has been going on. We've all been doing our part in the OnlyFans. <laughs> It's been a solid revenue stream. Daniel reads books in the nude. Ben, <laughs> ben cooks wearing only an apron. Oh. What and do you do? I, I lie face flat on the floor. But no butt stuff. No butt stuff. No, no butt stuff. Butt stuff. Um, My finger. Stay, you know. That's what he in, said. <laughs> Wave in my finger. She got Not you. in my book. No <laughs> butt stuff. Not in my book. Someone should have said that in The Mummy. There's a lot of book talk. Someone should have been like, not in my spell curse book. Not in my Necronomicon. (laughs) Spell book is like it's Harry Potter. Oh, God. Read another book. (laughs) I rewatched all those. That felt like a thousand years ago. Well, it probably was. Did you do that during quarantine? I watched the last two during quarantine. Isn't that insane? Yeah. Jesus. Did you see any at the New Beverly before they closed? No, because I feel weird going to kitty matinees alone. Right. We- <laughs> well, as, went- as, as someone who once sat in the last row to watch Paper Moon after eating an edible, it's allowed. 
it's per it's permissible as long as you sit in the back. I just and I stay away. Sitting in the front row for Kiki's delivery service, just staring at the guy hand out <laughs> toys to kids. I was like, what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> not in my book. And not in my book. Were either of you at a Return to Oz? Yeah. No, but I do love the film. We did that. We, in the we went. Yeah, but we were with people. I'm saying right. alone. We were not alone. But we were four, five grown adult men. But that movie's not for children. No, but there were. It was a kitty matinee. Yeah, it, was. it was intended for children. We had fun. Mm-hmm. So, um, if this were an email, would we sign off saying, "Be well, stay safe, stay, stay safe, safe and healthy." Stay sane. <laughs> Hope you're all doing okay. Hope you're staying staying during these crazy times. I say uncertain times in my emails. Oh, I love when people are like crazy times i try not to say crazy times i'm i like i i'm watching my language a lot right now because obviously like you don't want to make light yeah and so i say uncertain times uncertain I no times longer is more appropriate that. i actually been to uh, so i i've got about like 40 assistant programmers that i have to email out to and when i speak with them i i'm like be well etc yeah. but in like regular communiques it's yeah. just like we we gotta life life must find a way. Yeah. It's just like if it's someone I haven't talked to in a while, I'll say I hope you're doing okay. Otherwise, yeah. don't address it at all. Yeah. Well, like, <clears throat> dear listener, we hope that you are doing okay, and if you made it through two hours of this, I hope you're doing a little better. Aw. And I hope that we're all alive still when this is all over. When this is all over, over. and when air quotes, this is all over, we'll all get together and watch Jean Dillman in my front yard. Everybody that, that, that invitation goes out across the country, across the globe, across, across the globe. I have to say. Great. Well, um, recording. Okay. Yes. We should stop recording. Um, uh, not in my book. Okay. Maybe like you cut right there and then we, the winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much.